Welcome to Mindlocks with uh, me, Rabbi Jeremy Marquise, and my two close buddies, Rabbis Adir Yolkut and Josh Buchan, uh, both <laughs> We are uh, super pumped to be here for our inaugural episode, and uh, we will be talking about Hanukkah since it's coming up next week. And uh, Josh, as per usual, you have very strong feelings. Why don't you uh, st- start us off here? Yeah, thank you. So Hanukkah, as you mentioned, is coming up soon. And you know, the thing about Hanukkah is there's – I'm feeling like stuck with it, right? Like I feel like a lot of the Jewish holidays, there's a lot of different stuff to talk about. And Hanukkah, partly because the time of year it comes – usually during December, you know, when it's dark, when we're sort of in the beginning of winter, the main drosh, the main, the main sermon that I hear about Hanukkah is about bringing in light in the time of darkness, bringing in light in the time of darkness. And I think especially this year because of some recent political events that have happened, um, I feel like this was a sermon which I've heard a lot. You know, it's a time when we need to bring more light into the world, when we light candles and we bring in sort of more more flame and the flame represents hope and 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 you know potentiality and i guess i'm feeling like bored by that like i feel like that's the one thing i keep hearing about hanukkah and you know i think that there's probably more that we can say about hanukkah besides that and you know i get it you know people are feeling down people are in the dumps so it's a low time but i think that i think that we can do better and um i think there's more meaning to be had there than just sort of coming back to the, these sort of old tropes of despair, of darkness, and sort of hope within that place of despair and that place of darkness. Adir, what do you think? Uh, I guess I'm thinking as Josh is talking that I don't know how really death different it is from other holidays. Like you alluded to the fact that unlike the other holidays, this seems to have one kind of trope, but you know, I feel like high holidays, it's like, what kind of soul searching can you do? Passover, like what kind of spring cleaning do you need to do to get this, the chametz, the, the, you know, the unclean stuff out of your body? Um, Sukkot, get outside, like get in touch with God again. Like, it just feels like maybe it's a common, a common problem with all holidays is that people just fall back on old, like the typical one message, uh, theme i mean i would say say maybe that it's not a problem with the holidays it's a, it's a problem with like people right that like you know Always. we sort of get stuck yeah no i mean i hear you for sure but like you know we get stuck we have sort of this one idea that we want to talk about this one message but and... each holiday has like a seasonal component and a non-seasonal component and the two things that you guys both talked about in terms of passover and hanukkah are both the seasonal component and not the narrative of the holiday itself i mean there's always the second angle Wait, why isn't Josh? Josh feels like it's the narrative of the holiday as opposed to seasonal. They 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 coalesce more so on Hanukkah, maybe. I mean, I think that the, I think I hear what you're saying, but I think that the narrative of Hanukkah ties into this message, and maybe this is why it's so con, so convenient to talk about lighting candles in the time of darkness and sort of bringing more light into the world. Because the the Hanukkah holiday, sort of the way that one of the narratives we have for it is 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 the story of the rededication of the temple at the end of the Maccabean revolt. Right, and, and this is sort of a time when the Jewish people were coming out of this this great this great period of darkness under Roman rule, and when um, this sort of leads to the, this period of physically bringing more light into the world through the the miracle in the temple, but also you know metaphorically as well, right? We, we so so I think that the narrative idea of the holiday, the, the the story which we always hear about, like well, why do we light why do we light candles? Why do we have eight eight nights? You know, I think that idea sort of 
also falls along, um, you know, not just narr- not just narrative, but also like the the I don't know metaphorical or spiritual side as well. I I definitely what I definitely find meaningful is the rededication piece. Like that's the part I always come to. I mean, my like because it always comes in December and around like New Year's. I've always found it as an opportunity f- to reinforce personal resolutions, just like Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur could do that, right? What am I rededicating myself to? They rededicated the temple so that they could serve God. For me, I've always found that piece to be the most meaningful for me, which isn't about the the light and the darkness piece. But I mean, you could spin it in if you really wanted. But you know, what am I? What do I need to rededicate myself to to be my best person that I can be, or to be Jewish, you know, the way I want to be. Yeah, sure. So for your rededication is really about recommitting. It's about, you know, you're going to recommit right now. Josh, I, as Jeremy was talking, I pretty much were certain you were going to say that that's just like the secular example, or Jeremy's using it in a religious sense, but really like in the secular world, it's also the theme time of rededication. But that's also like the one, you know, the one trick pony of kind of this season, like, okay, rededication, what, what's my resolution? Like, I feel like your, your claim can be extended outward, just, you know, separate of just a religious sense to a kind of cultural, like we just keep going back to the same stuff. I mean, I guess so. I mean, that, but then the question is, like, do we go back to the same stuff because that that one message is inherently meaningful and it speaks to us? Like, are we are we am I constantly hearing and thinking about this idea of of bringing light from darkness right now because that's what I need and there's like an intrinsic value, or is it because I don't know people are boring and, and not creative and and aren't able to sort of think outside the box or or are don't have the time to invest in doing like real real um, investigation. So I want to I want to break down something that you said into two parts. One is how do I actually make meaning out of this as a person and how do I relay that message, right? In in one sense you're saying I'm tired of us talking about it, we should talk about it in a different way, which is how am I relaying this message to someone else versus how am I manifesting the meaning of Hanukkah in my life, which is like to- like a personal practical thing. Those are two separate pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. I mean, look, I think that as like, uh, to be totally honest, it's like a modern American, you know, partly secular citizen. I, I'm often engaged mostly in, in personal meaning making and I'm less interested in like, what does the narrative mean objectively or what did it mean or what did it mean in the time of, of the Torah or the time for the rabbis in the, in, the, in the Talmudic era? But like, right, how can I, as an individual living today in America, find meaning? And maybe that's selfish. But that's also like, you know, me being real, like I'm interested in my own personal, my own personal meaning. That's sort of why I do it. So for sure, for sure, I, I hear that distinction. Um, and for me, I always fall down on the side of, of personal meaning as opposed to, uh, you know, thinking more, more specifically. Adir, <laughs> what are you doing? Sorry, I was having a bit of a light. I was having a bit of a lighting problem. I needed to move my plant and get my shades down so I could see you guys better. This is hashtag Rabbi Life, huh? Yeah. Well, look for those of you who are not uh, aware, we are actually videoing with each other because often, you know, the studies show that podcasts are much more fruitful when the when the podcasters who are not uh, in the same space can be able to see each other, read each other's faces, emote. So There's I no study to be- that says that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's uh, in the Pew, Pew, Pew study of 2016. Yeah, maybe that'll be our topic next week. Perhaps. <laughs> we'll pitch it to our vast audience and see what they think. You mean each of our mothers? <laughs> yeah. Um, We're looking for sponsors, speaking of. Anybody wants to sponsor, we'll give you some airtime. Maybe Kedem. Uh, Kedem, it's delicious. <laughs> uh, I prefer Manischewitz if it were up to me, but... Um, Adir, I mean, what do you, what do you look for when it comes to Hanukkah for yourself? Like when you're sitting there lighting the candles or, you know, with your nieces and nephew, what is it that you find yourself attracted to in a in less conceptually, but more in a practical sense? I don't know. Can I be honest and say not much? Like I don't, yeah. and, and this might come across as like problematic for people who hear this as a person who is like a faith leader that... I would say few and far between are the times when I'm performing a ritual activity and I really find like deep spiritual meaning from it. Um, so for me, it's probably like on a, on a kind of broad or, or a more grand level that like, I like the physical stuff that I'm doing when I'm lighting the candles, being with family, knowing I'm having dinner, you know, with groups of people afterwards or doing something fun to celebrate the holiday. Like the idea of lighting candles and they're being meaning there because it's the days are short and it's dark outside and the enemies are surrounding us or whatever metaphor you want to use. I don't know. I don't, it, it, that's just my, that's just me though. So it's hard for me to get there. I know for me, m- most years Hanukkah is pretty challenging in, in the ways you very much described. I know that the couple of years ago, while we were in rabbinical school, my Talmud class talked about Hanukkah. We spent the day studying all the Talmud stuff on Hanukkah, which is few and far between that particular evening having like been steeped in it all day when i lit candles and sat there like i had a deep spiritual experience i felt like god was like so present in that moment but i feel like that's first of all not normally true for me and second is probably a result of having spent the whole day studying about hanukkah and thinking about hanukkah which isn't normally true or isn't normally what i'm doing every single year Um, it's not feasible either yeah. No, not like regular Joes, you know, even you, you're a rabbi now and you can't just carve out like eight hours every day to entrench yourself in this stuff and then be able to do it. Right. Yeah. And, it, and if that's the, the tool I need in order to have a spiritual experience, that that's also not tenable, like on a regular basis, even if it wasn't right. Hanukkah. Sure. Right. Like I think, you know, like Moses has to come down off the mountaintop. You know, we can't remain in these heightened states of, of spirituality. Um, you know, that's part of the work in the world is to integrate spiritual teachings. Sorry, that that's our one. We filled our quota of one un, totally unnecessary uh, insider baseball reference. That's Spons- scholastic. Trying <laughs> to go back. So M- Moses um, um, was a guy in a book that I read once. <laughs> what do you wish you could do in the next? week that would make Hanukkah a step up meaning more meaningful than what you would have done had we not had this conversation yeah I mean I think something that I think about every year and I've mentioned this to you guys before and I and I've received some amount of flack for it but there are, there are two ways of lighting Hanukkah candles one way is to add this is sort of the normative way according to the, the school of the Rabbi Hillel which you add a candle each night and other ways to you start with all eight candles lit the first night and each night of Hanukkah, you subtract a candle. And, you know, I think for me, like that, 
that is such a flip, right? Because it's like rather than bringing more light, you're removing light. And this is going to sound maybe like totally morbid and like macabre. But like I'm much more interested at this point in my life right now, this week, and like having like a ritual that acknowledges the way that part of life is inherently dark and not try to like bring light in to replace darkness, but doing something to actively remind myself of the darkness of the world feels to me like kind of where I'm at personally. You need, you need that reminder? I, I See, a reminder is maybe the wrong word, but I feel like any what, what ritual does is ritual gives us physical actions which correspond to things which we might be feeling inside. I think that might be more where my mood is at in general. So having a ritual, not to bring me out of the darkness, but to say like, it's okay to be in darkness, it's okay to be in this place, you know, to me that, that feels like that's the whole point of ritual is that it gives us some act with which we can mark our emotions and our days and our, and our time and our transitions. Cool. And not only that, but you're lighting both ways, right? So it's not, you're, it's not one to yeah. the exception of others. Don't worry, Rabbi Artisan. Yeah, I, of course, light my candles instead of blessing over the, the halachic way. And then, you know, I don't want to, like, publicize the bad way. So, like, in my kitchen, I don't want to, I don't want to use language of good and bad, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do it both ways. Maybe. Uh, can we? Can I just ask a question about a word you use? Because I'm often troubled by it, and I like you used it in a way, and I don't know which is the correct way to pronounce it. The word M A C A B R E. Like, does the R E ever get said at the end of that word? Because you said macabre, uh, and I always feel like I hear people do a little bit of like the macabre, but I never know. What, like, what what's the deal with that word? As our resident English major, that's probably a, a good question for you, yeah. Josh. I I've always heard macabre. You know, I've never heard anyone say like macabre. Macabre. Maybe maybe you can say it silently to yourself, like in you know, whispering it to yourself. That way, you can always feel. Yeah, tweet it, tweet at the show, all those of you listening, so we can hear from you. Hashtag mindlocks. Yeah, we got to set that up. You have to set up up a hashtag. No, No, Twitter account. We could do that. Yeah, let's do it, man. We're gonna grow this thing. Can we tweet Donald Trump? We could I think definitely it would, tweet it would be good. Donald Trump. It would be good publicity. So why don't we shift to uh, our our next segment? I think we've we've definitely talked a little. We talked around Hanukkah quite a bit. Um, Adir, you talked about uh, bringing fake news and discussing discussing which one is is the craziest or something along those lines. Uh, in lieu of doing that this week, maybe we'll do that next week. Why don't we talk? Uh, it's also a current event. Why don't we talk about uh, Pizzagate? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what Pizzagate is. Adir, you want to give it a shout or you want me to explain? Uh, I could try and you could fill. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Basically, like there are these uh, strange conspiracy theories that there was some like illegal, I guess, I guess it would be illegal without me saying illegal, but illegal child prostitution ring being run out of some pizza shop in DC called, I think, Comet Pizza. And there were all these claims that like the Clintons were tied into it to the owner. And there was this like special room, secret room that they would frequent to participate in such activities. In a non-existent so, basement. Right. So some guy from, I don't know, where is he, Virginia or South Carolina or something? He, he had been reading these reports, this news, and decided to take action by driving up by himself to come to this pizza joint to like explore and investigate 
with a semi-automatic assault rifle, I think. Um, and he brought it in and he, apparently he like, didn't have a plan. He like, didn't even know what he was going to do before he walked in, but obviously, uh, it caused a bit of an uproar and the police came and I think he shot the gun, but not at anybody. He shot it in the air. And that was kind of the story. Yes, Jeremy. But yeah, he was only... like a, he was like a vigilante. Like he, in his mind, he was, he was, he like was looking to do his busting. own. He was looking to do his own investigation. That it was based off of a fake story he read, and it was about something that someone intentionally wrote that's not true. He, a, caused a person to react really strongly. So I, I, the question becomes: what what role? Um, you know, what responsibility maybe do we have, not as rabbis, but as consumers of media? Great. Good question. Adir, do you want to, ha- do you want to tackle this first? No, you can go. I'm, I just want to find there was a good map um, that came out. Jeremy, I think maybe you posted. I saw it elsewhere about like, um, you know, where different journalistic entities fall in the political spectrum. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a difference and I just saw this tip taking place on Facebook actually a few minutes ago. I think people often confuse like what it means for a news entity to be biased in some way or to be leaning in some direction, right? Like it's 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 fine to make the claim that things like the Washington Post and the New York Times and and Vox differently than those, but but have certain tendencies, um, you know, in the same way that um, certain ones go to the right a little bit more. Um, but then there's like the whole other conversation of are, is this actual news? Like those things are real reputable, certifiable news agencies, whether they have political leanings, but then there are just like hoax, um, propellers, like people who just create stories because they know people are not going to check and figure out what they are. And that's where the problem seems to be. People don't know how to discern what's real and what's not. And maybe that's our societal fault for not educating people enough to figure out how to understand whether something is a hoax or it's real. Do you think that this has, like, there is a role that the Jewish community, even independently, like, even not as, like, a countrywide Jewish community, but our own Jewish communities, is there a role that we should be playing? Um, is it that we should be saying, not from the pulpit necessarily, but, hey, we should be reading these newspapers as a community to have a conversation, and we should be ignoring these others? I mean, is that something overt that we should be talking about? Yeah, definitely. We should be reading the Jewish Journal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know any more so than like an, an any type of other you know niche or niche group. Like, I don't know if we have a specific like moral imperative to do something about this more so than like a church does or any like another another nonprofit. Why do you? I I don't I don't think so. Um, I agree with what you said. I. I feel really strongly that we, as in, each of us individually, should be checking our sources, and I'm certainly guilty of not always doing that. I think that we should be holding others accountable. Um, you know, I have posted things on Facebook of a particular political leaning, as as I want to do, and you know, I have had community members come and say to me, "Hey, you know, you this was really strong language." You know, do we have a responsibility uh, to call somebody out? Maybe because we're rabbis that that it's different in some way. That you know, we we should be careful. Even though this person posted something fake, like oh, I'm the rabbi versus I'm a person that I should correct it. So I, I feel I don't always feel that tension in my own life, but 
I feel like that's a real tension in the Jewish community that, that could exist from this. Although I can't imagine most people would want to be putting out fake news, not like knowingly. I want to take a slightly different, uh, different approach. I think that like, this is going to sound kind of, uh, fashit. Well, I'm just going to say it. I think that like, you know, I think that, that the whole fake news phenomena exists because there's a great deal of, um, I don't know, malleability in terms of news sources in general, which is, and I think that, that, that the fake news sort of plays into this, right? That, that like, Anytime there's a news article, it reflects some bias, right? I'm, like, I'm not convinced how neutral any news is that we get. You know, and you, you, we saw this really clearly in the election. If you looked at Fox News, if you looked at CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post, people were reporting very different things. And I'm not I sure I that, would lump all of those together. That, that I would be wary of that. Right, fair enough. But I guess I'm just saying that like, from like a, like a postmodern perspective, like, like, I'm not sure I, I would say that there is, like, one inherent truth and that, like, news source X highlights it. So I think, like, the fake news phenomenon is really playing off of the, the fact that, like, any news, anytime you write down an article, there is some, there's something about it which, something about the reality of the event gets lost in the transfer from the reality to the news article. Like, the news article isn't representative necessarily of any real fact and i think like fake news is sort of like taking that idea to like the the nth degree i think you're doing exactly what i said people need to not do which is like you're you're lumping in all these groups which which might have particular political leanings but are not um dispelling or kind of dispersing like things that are untrue like fox news or the hill might have conservative leanings but most of the stuff they're putting out there separate of op-eds which are obviously a whole nother uh you know conversation it's like it's generally reflecting the accurate 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 events that are happening in the world but like breitbart is very clearly like they're peddling in stories that are untrue or embellished or um you know hoaxes so, so that for me feels like a difference, like malleability of news. I, that's yes, that is a conversation, but that's different than than things that are wrong. Yeah, I hear you. If they can be, if they can be proven verifiable facts, which I, which is another topic altogether. Sure, I would say. sure. But you know me, I like to play the foil a bit. Absolutely. So why don't we um, move to our our last segment here, and. Um, any last any last thoughts that you are today's Thursday? Any last thoughts that that of the week that you want to bring into to Shabbat? Right, our listeners might be listening to this on a Friday. What should um what should they what should they listen? You know, what should they be thinking about, or or what are you thinking about? Man, I have a lot on my mind, but it's not like a particularly religious bend. Doesn't have to be. I'm gonna say I just started watching as, as I told these fine gentlemen. Uh, this show Black Mirror, which I'm pretty late to the game on, and I and I pride myself on being pretty up and hip to television and mid- movies. Um, but this is obviously, I think it's just in the third season now, and I just started, but it is amazing. Um, and it, I've only seen two episodes, so small sample size warning. But pretty much everything I've seen so far, and, and the show kind of works not necessarily as one narrative arc, but each episode, as I've seen so far, is kind of a different um, story, a la Fringe. Um, or other shows that you might know. Um, but it's a fascinating look so far into kind of the way we humans interact with technology, which is 
a, a an overdone trope, but it feels like they're really doing it in a cool way. And I've been riveted, like in a way that I'm not riveted by television, thinking about like the implications of it for for my community and myself. Um, and it's unique and the acting is really good and the writing is really tight. So Black Mirror, if you're into sci-fi, if you think a lot about technology and humans, um, the, you know, the the influence of one on the other, check it out. It's on Netflix. Um, and we, maybe we'll talk about it another time when you guys start watching. Yeah, and Netflix, you know, we, we, as we said, we're looking for sponsors. So if you like this endorsement. Right. Uh, at us. Yeah, get in touch. That's good. Maybe we should. Maybe this should be like pop culture, like not just Shabbat, but like what is the pop culture stuff you're into right now? I feel like that's this good. Too. This too this, is Torah, as they say. Yeah, this too is Torah. Uh, I'm really, I, you know, I, I was just, I asked you this a few minutes ago before we got on, but I've really been enjoying Chance the Rapper's album, The Coloring Book. I think it's pretty phenomenal. And I saw it on a bunch, I felt validated in seeing it on a number of, of best of albums for the year lists um, last weekend. And The Man in the High Castle comes back tonight. I believe so um, I kind of had a slow start with the show but in the end I decided I, I I'm into it and I'm excited to see what happens next nice Jeremy uh, I as is no surprise to anyone big podcast person and uh, I've been listening to keeping it 1600 and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they uh I just, they're hilarious and they have a really good angle. Um, the last one I listened to had Evan McMullen on um, talking awesome. about he, I, definitely. And uh, I think they have a lot of really interesting things to, uh, to say um, and to talk about in terms of progressivism and, and, you know, the Democratic Party, what's happening uh, internally there, and really just a, a nice lens on, on the news that I'm thoroughly enjoying. They have two episodes a week. And um, you know, give them a listen. Uh, that's that's what I'm. That's what I listened to before Shabbat and stuff. Can I can I say something about Evan McMullen? Because I've been loosely following him now on Twitter since the election. And uh, in the name of transparency, I you know I, I voted for Hillary Clinton. But looking back Let's and reading what he has, <laughs> reading what he has said, he seems like the most normal human of any of the three people. Uh, well, they're more than that, but but of the two people who really ran, who were the true candidates for president, um, he seems of the of the others to be like the most normal. And I don't know so much about all of his policies, but it's like, where was this guy? Why didn't he have a bigger platform cutting out of Utah? Why didn't he have a bigger national infrastructure to help him? Um, he just seems to be like a representative of a lot of what our country is about. Hmm. Nice. Good Evan McMullen plug. Yeah, Evan yeah, McMullen, plug. if you want to uh, uh, support the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Um, at at Mindlocks Twitter, find us. <laughs> exactly right. So, all right, that was our inaugural episode, uh, Mindlocks episode one. Uh, join us next week. Peace out. All right, um, mom, if you're listening, which I hope you are, I love you. Love you, Claudia. Bye.